You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. The season's reasons. Let's get our Bibles out once again and open them up to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 as we continue in our series in the midst of all of those reasons for the seasons. We're uh, taking a look at some very practical things, some things right out of the scriptures as we think about the real reason uh, for this season. Last week, as we were uh, looking at that, we looked at the need. And from Matthew 1 and verse 21, we saw he will save his people from their sin. Uh, One of the reasons for the season is the reality that we were separated from God in our sin and we couldn't fix it. We couldn't do anything about it. And the season's reason was the need. We took a look at a little bit at God's character in that and his willingness to send his son and man's condition and our hopelessness and then the deliverance that's found in Christ. Well, this week we want to take a look at the season's reasons and we want to take a look at his glory. We want to take a look at the glory of God. Now, that's a study that we could do again until the Lord comes back and never exhaust it. And yet at the same time, we need to see it in the Christmas story. Seeing the glory of God and then as we see the glory of God and what God has done in his coming, how do we act upon that? What difference does the glory of God in this season and his uh, revelation to us, what difference does that make in our lives? Psalm 57 verse 5 says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so God's glory is demonstrated for us. How are we seeing it and what are we doing with it as we consider how awesome our God is? So we're going to take one verse out of our text. It's found in Matthew 1. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read verses 18 to verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And he considered these things, excuse me, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that we can hold your word in our hands and we can study it. And we're asking God that it would reveal truth to us today, things to us today that maybe we haven't seen before or we've forgotten or we've neglected and pushed aside, Lord, as we think about your glory, how awesome you are. God, give us ears to carefully listen to what your word has to say today. Give us minds to be able to comprehend it. The power of your spirit, change us, God, and give us a passion, Lord, to live out for your glory, live out for your fame because of all that you've done and accomplished for us. Take this time, be blessed in it, God, as we lift your name high. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, in verse uh, 
23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, don't let that verse fly by too easily. Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord Jesus has come to earth. The one who's going to be the sacrifice, who's going to make our salvation possible. Emmanuel. And that leads us to think about the glory and who God is and all that he did. Some of the uh, verses that come out of what we use as Christmas, Christmas narrative, uh, they would say this. Uh, John 1.14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Luke 1, verse 46, as Mary is learning that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, and, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. She's understanding the glory. My soul magnifies the Lord. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, the angel has come and is announcing to the shepherds. And then in verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the shepherds respond in Luke 2.20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then later the wise men come, and they, they meet Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 2, 10 and 11, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, the reason for the season is glory. The reason for the season is Emmanuel. God is with us. Mary glorifies God. The angels glorify God. The shepherds glorify God. The wise men, they worship God. See, glory happens when we get a glimpse of God. Glory happens when you get a glimpse of God. You've had experiences in your life where you've been walking along and God intersects your life. It might be in a message, it might be in a devotion, it might be in your quiet time, it might be being out in nature, looking up at the stars, and all of a sudden you're just overwhelmed by the glory of God. Glory happens when we get a glimpse of God. But let's understand something. We're going to be challenged to how we glorify God in this message, but God is not made any bigger if we glorify Him. God is God. The glory is His already. The, really, the question is, do we see it and do we respond to His glory? We glorify Him because He's already awesome. He's already who He is. Um, Sue was uh, working with the little cubbies, the four-year-olds. Can't do this with the three-year-old cubbies because uh, when you get them stood up, then they just know to sit down again, right? So, uh, but with the four-year-old cubbies this week, they were talking about this idea of glory, the glory of God. And, uh, and she had them all stand up and shout out, God is awesome! God is awesome! Do you do that? And I'd hear you'd be embarrassed, right? Because you shouldn't want Christians hearing you say something like that. And so, God is awesome! You know, uh, yesterday, if you're a soccer fan, you were all wrapped up in the Toronto FC winning the, the, uh, the tournament. They're, they're the champions, Toronto FC. Um, the Toronto Argonauts won the Grey Cup just a week or so ago. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, we are on a roll in Toronto. <laughs> and some of you just go crazy over that stuff. You're like, woohoo, woohoo. The little four year olds get it. God is awesome. 
Now, that's what we need to see when we think about the Christmas story, when we think about the glory of God. God is awesome. How much of that's going on in your life? How much of that is going on in your life right now as you think about the Lord and who he is and what he's done? So three things I want us to see today. Here's the first one. Glory makes God big. Glory makes God big. doesn't make him bigger, and if you don't do it, it's not that he's less. But glory in our lives, it makes God big. It makes him big. So the question for us around this point is, do you make God big in your life? How are you making God big in your story? How did that come out this week? Were you so wrapped up in your workplace stuff and your family stuff and, and uh, your friendship stuff and all the stuff that's going on that, that God took a back seat? Or did God become big in your story? And as you're communicating what he's doing and you're living your life out, uh, he becomes part of the narrative that always makes its way out in your life. Glory makes God big. But you have to have a view of God where he is big if he's ever going to come out big in your story. And so two things I want us to see in this. The first one is about the attributes of God. We make God big because of his attributes. That's really about who he is. We touched on it last week quickly on God's character. And as I said, you could study this until the Lord comes back and we'll spend the rest of eternity seeing God in his glory and how awesome he is. But uh, today, two things we want to take a look at. We want to see God in his glory, in his attributes. There are two different kinds of attributes of God. The communicable attributes, those are the ones that we are to have as well, that we emulate, that we grow in. We'll come back to those in a minute. Then there are the incommunicable attributes of God. These are the ones that belong to God alone, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but just to highlight some of them so we think about God in his glory. We need to think about it being so much bigger than we are, so much not us. One of those is that God transcends. He's beyond us. He's beyond us. And uh, here's a few. Immutability. God's nature doesn't change in any way. His essence has always been and always will be exactly the same. I try to be consistent in my life, but I'm not. I'm not as consistent as I should be. Uh, some days I come home and it's been a great day and Sue's happy to have me there. Other days I come home, it's not been a good day, and she wishes I would go back out for a little while and then come home again, because I'm not consistent like that. And none of, don't look at me like you're so pious and you got that all figured out. You don't either. You're just as big a pain in the neck to the people around you as I am. We're not, we don't have that down. But God's consistent all the time. Whether I'm walking with him in a good way, he loves me, or whether he's needing to restore the relationship because I've messed it up, God is immutable. He doesn't change. God's infinite. God's without measure or limit or scope or duration. God is omnipotent. God is capable of performing anything he desires. If it can be done, God can do it because he is all-powerful. Now think about your own salvation if you have nothing else to think about about God's omnipotence and how he brought you from darkness into his marvelous light, how you were an enemy of God and it was his power working. It was his power working that drew you from what you were and brought you to the place of the cross where you trusted Christ. That's an all-powerful God. The Bible says we were enemies of God. We hated God and there's power. God is omnipresent. God is in all places and in all dimensions simultaneously. 
Nothing in the universe exists outside of the presence of God. Things are not happening um, on the other side of Canada. And God's like, didn't see that coming because I was so busy at HBCYR that I couldn't see what was going on. God, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. God is omniscient. He is all knowledge. God is self-existent. God is not dependent upon anything else for his existence. I'm dependent on a lot of things for my existence. If there's no oxygen, I die. If there's no water, I die. If there's no food, I die. Um, but God's not like that. God's self-existent. God is awesome, and God deserves the glory. God's self-sufficient. He needs nothing else outside of himself to maintain his existence. And God is sovereign, which in a simple way is like God's in control, and God is in charge, and God makes the rules. See, we live in a world where we want to make the rules. And when somebody else makes the rules, we buck against that all of the time. God's in control. God is sovereign. I am so thankful God is sovereign because if it was us looking down on this earth and its sinfulness, we would have just washed it away. We would have written it off. But God in his sovereignty, God in his love, God in his compassion, he sent his son Jesus Christ. and He is the ruler and he makes the rules. He's awesome. We may not always understand it. We might not always like it, but God is sovereign. Some of those are some of the incommunicable attributes of God. You can't have them. You can think you might, but you don't. You don't have any of those. Those all belong to God. And then there are other characteristics, other attributes of God that we're told that we emulate, that we, we grow in. They become part of who we are, but they're His attributes, and we grow in them. Uh, one of those would be uh, grace. God is a God of grace, a giving what we don't deserve, and we need to be people of grace. A God is a God of mercy, not giving what we do deserve, and we need to be people who are filled with mercy. And God is a God of love, loving the unlovable, and we need to be people of love. Why? Well, when, because when you do that, people look at you and they go, why are you like that? That's not the way the world is. The world isn't naturally filled with people who are loving and gracious and merciful, not like that. And so why are you like that? Well, when you're like that, it's because you see the glory of God and you want to be like, like He is in your life. And people ask you for the reason of the hope that's in you. People are like, why are you like you are? What is it about you? Because nobody else would put up with that. Nobody else would do that. And you can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can talk about what God does. You can make God big in your life because you see His attributes and the ones that are you to have in your life you are seeking to have them. God is a God of truth. God always speaks the truth, and we are too as well. And God is a God of wisdom. And we're capable of expressing wisdom, but our wisdom is limited. But we're called to be wise. And it's an attribute of God that demonstrates His glory. And so as we think about making God big, you think about how God has put these things in us and the opportunity for us to demonstrate God through these attributes in our lives. How's that, how's that going for you? How did that go for you this week? Who did you demonstrate love to like God loved you? Who did you express grace or do something that was filled with grace like God expressed grace to you? How did you show mercy to someone, didn't deserve it, but you showed that mercy as a way of demonstrating who God is and making him big in your life?
So it happens through the attributes of God. It also happens as we see the works of God. We see the way that he works in creation. When you see God in creation, you understand how big he is, how awesome he is, and you want to glorify him. It's hard to see God in creation in Markham, I just got to tell you. It's just really hard. There's so much concrete and so many buildings, and we're privileged to have a hot tub in our backyard. And when we sit in the hot tub, you want to look up into the splendor of the skies, and what I see is the glow of Shopper's Drug Mart in the sky. I don't really get to see the glory of God. Now, you get north of Major Mac or somewhere out in the, and you look up and you see the skies and the wonders of his work and what he has made, and you see God in his creation. You get up and you see God and what he's made in you. You just are in awe of who he is. See, I believe the first two chapters of Genesis are exactly the way God said they are. God created. God did it the way the Bible says it. The world, of course the world's not going to accept that. Of course the world's going to fly with all the theories they can opposed to those things because why would they want to support something that God does? But God did what he did. He is the creator. He, you need to look up into the stars. You need to see him in creation. And you need to go, God is awesome. And give him glory. We see it in the creation. We see it in the miracles that he did. In the Old Testament, we see the parting of the Red Sea. We, we see Jonah in the, in the whale. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We see in the New Testament, Jesus walking on the water. We see the birth of Jesus Christ. And then we see the death of our Savior, and we see his resurrection, because God has done miracles. I, I'm always amazed at the Bible characters, because sometimes we look at them like, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they get it? We've got the whole story. A little bit at the end we don't know yet, but we got the whole story. And do we give glory to God? Do we make him big? Because of who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished in our lives. God has given us the word. Everything we need for, for godliness in our lives is found right here. We just need to study it. We need to know it because God has given it to us. And then at Christmas, God's given his son. God gave us his son. Glory has as its foundation. Hey, church. Glory has as its foundation to make God big in your life. You see who God is. And you can't help but respond, and we're going to come back to that. So the question for you is, do you make God big in your life? Or are you too busy making your work big in your life, or, or making your accomplishments big in your life, or making your family big in your life, or making yourself big in your life, and you don't have time to make God big in your life? Glory sees God and loves to make him big. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. A glory makes him known. Glory is making him known. Glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him, primarily because he, because he and he alone deserves to be praised and honored and worshiped. God's glory is the essence of his nature, and we give glory to him by recognizing that essence. We understand who he is, and now we want to make him known. In 1 Chronicles 16, 28 and 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, make him known. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. He deserves the glory. Ascribe to him the glory that's due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. 
worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Because he is awesome, because he is God, he deserves the glory. We make him known. In that text, there were two things it said. It said, ascribe. We give glory to him because it's due him. No one else deserves the praise and the worship. We glorify him, and we are to glorify him alone. Isaiah, when he was writing about God's glory, he said this, speaking um, what God said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I don't give my glory to another. There's only one who deserves the glory, and I don't give it to another. Do you give the glory of God to another? the idols that you have, the things that come before him in your walk, the priorities that you have. We give him the glory. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then the second part of that verse says, we bring an offering. We bring an offering. In the Old Testament, they had to bring sacrifices. They had to bring offerings. And they did that as a way to demonstrate their love for God and their understanding without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sin. That the only way these things get taken care of is because God is doing this work. So bring an offering. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that in the New Testament? We're not bringing blood sacrifices anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ took care of that uh, for us. But how about these verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of what God has done, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, to the things it does, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We bring an offering. We bring an offering as we seek to make God big and make him known. Here's, here's uh, three real practical ways that uh, you can make him known. The first way you can make him known is through your praise. Make God known uh, through your, your praise, through your words, through your songs. These are through the things that we express out in our lives. Make God known through your praise. If you're like me, and probably most of you are, when we come to our time in prayer... We tend to be um, jumping right into the stuff we need. Even before our confession, we tend to. It's like, Lord, you know what we need with this? You know, one of my kids is going sideways. You know this medical thing I've got? And we, we tend to jump right into that. I'm not saying it's wrong to those things. I'm not even saying it's wrong. The order to me is not even that important. But, but the reality is we tend to jump to, oh, God, help me. Oh, give me this. I need this. I need this. I need this. It's okay to pray those prayers. Those prayers are important. But we tend to do that the most. It's where you spend most of the time in your prayer, probably most of the times you pray. A lesser amount of time is given to confession, to search me, God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked in way in me, and if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. We spend less time on that, and less time on praise and thanksgiving, and giving God the glory, and expressing to him who he is, and what he's done, and taking the time to remember God and his faithfulness and his goodness. When you need to go through a difficult time, you, you're set up to go through a difficult time when you've been giving God the glory, when you see him in his goodness, when you've been rehearsing his attributes, when you are thanking him for his creative work and the miracles he's done and the word of God and the son of God. And 
We need to be people filled with praise. Psalm 75, 1 says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. He's a God who deserves our glory. And so we praise him. Here's another thing we do is we worship him. We worship him. Those words are not exactly synonymous. They're a little bit different. And, and in worship, we're talking about the way we act out in our lives. Our lives are to be an act of worship. I trust that as you've come to church today, you've come with a desire to worship God. And so you got up and you got ready and you came and we're here to worship the Lord. But it doesn't just happen in church. If you think our worship to God is this hour and 15 minutes, you're selling yourself so short on what God has for you. Worship is what happens when you're driving down McCowan and you're listening to music or, or when you're uh, spending time in your quiet time or you're having devotions with your kids. It's, it's what helps you as you get through the tough time at work where in the midst of it you come back to, the Lord is in all of this. I am his servant in this. And, and you cry out to him and you, and you worship. Three ways we make him known. You make him known in your praise. You make him known in your worship. And there's a lot of them. Here's a third one, though. You make him known in your humility. Glorifying God happens and is made known in humility. Well, what's humility? Well, one definition of humility would be humility is seeing yourself in light of who God is. I get a glimpse of who God is, and when I get a glimpse of who God is, I get a sense of how puny I am, not insignificant. We're important to God. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows everything about me. The next heartbeat I have comes because he allows it to happen. But humility, humility is seeing yourself in light of who God is. I, I wrote it this way this week when I was rethinking that a bit. Humility is right-sizing your view of yourself. Humility is right-sizing your view of yourself. Humility is when you stop and get yourself off of the throne of all of the things in your life and you start to focus on who God is in your life and what he is doing in your life and you start making him bigger and you become what you should be in all of this. So how's that going for you? How is that in your endeavors in the workplace? Not saying you shouldn't work hard. I, I think you should be the best employer that there is if you're an employer. And if you're an employee, you should be the best employee your employer has for the glory of God. But what's the focus? Is the focus that I get ahead or is the focus that God gets the glory? Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that in the due course, in his time, he can exalt you. And allow the exaltation to happen from God and stop trying to manipulate all the things to get them in place for what you want in all of this. One of the greatest verses for me about this in the Bible is John 3 and verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, so what's the context of that? Well, John the Baptist is watching as Jesus' public ministry is happening. And John the Baptist, who was the one who was coming to herald the fact that the Messiah was coming, is now seeing John, Jesus baptizing more people than he is baptizing. And his followers, those who have been so loyal to him, are like a little miffed about the whole thing. Jesus, how come those people are going over there? I mean, John, how come those people are all going over there to Jesus? And John got it. He goes, you know what, guys? He must increase. He must be first. I'm not first. I am not first. I must decrease. 
And is that our heart as God's people? Is our heart for, as God's people to be, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be exalted. Now I realize you can all sit here and mentally go, yeah, check, that's the right thing to do. It's easy to give mental assent to that. But what does that look like in your workplace? What does that look like in your home? What does that look like in your own quiet time? What does that look like when you have think time? What does that look like for you? Humility is a way that we make him known because people look at us and they go, that's just not normal. It's not normal because I want God to be great. I want God to be big. Glory makes God big. Glory makes him known. Here's the uh, third point. Um, glory makes me different. Glory makes me different. It was John Piper, I believe, who coined this phrase. I don't have another source for it, so I'm giving it to him because I didn't make it up. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I demonstrate the glory of God most when I'm most satisfied in him. When I understand that God makes my path. I make my plans, but God establishes my path. And I come under that, and I willingly love it. And even if it's difficult, I'm like, you know what? The Lord's in control of all this. I'm yielding in all of this. And as a follower of Christ, being a person of glory, it makes me different. As I consider God in his attributes, as I consider God in his working, as I consider the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, I got to be different. I must be different. It revolutionizes your life when you see the glory of God. In 1692, a Puritan whose name was Thomas Watson he wrote a book that was called A Body of Practical Divinity. Um, and in that book, he gave 17 biblical ways to glorify God with your life. 17 ways. See, when you see the glory of God, it will make you different. And so he gave 17 different ways that you can glorify God in your life. Um, I don't have enough time to give you 17. I might have enough time to squeeze in 12 if we go really fast. But I'm not really interested in you writing down all 12 of them and having all 12 and going, oh, look at my notes. Don't they look good? I'm really interested in you picking the two or three or maybe one or four that are like, that's what I needed to hear today. That's why I came to church. But I'm going to go through 12. I'm going to go through them quickly as a ways that the glory of God makes me different. Here's the first one. We glorify God when we aim at his glory. We glorify God when we aim at his glory. You're like, well, isn't that kind of obvious? No, but did you do it this week? See, was the goal of your life to glorify God? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Did that thought even cross your mind this week in what you were doing in your workplace, what you were doing in your family, how you responded to a hard thing in your life? I glorify God when I aim purely at his glory. Even Jesus said this, I seek not my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. A decision in my life to seek after the glory of God and not seek after 
the glory of man or the glory of self. That's number one. Number two, we glorify God when we sincerely confess our sin. God gets the glory when you examine your heart and you deal with your sin. Why? Because you're seeing he's the one who's on the throne. He's the one who deserves the glory. And as a result, I'm going to confess my sin and I'm going to take the time, whatever the time is, to find out what's going on in my life that doesn't honor Christ and I'm going to get right with him in a blatant sin, in a passive sin, whatever it is, um, I will bring glory to God when I deal with sin in my life. Back in the Old Testament, um, after they conquered Jericho, Achan had stolen some things, hidden them for himself. And in Joshua 7, 19, Joshua said to Achan, said this, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give him praise. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give him praise. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua knew something had gone on. The Lord had revealed it to him, but he didn't know exactly what it was. And so he calls Achan out. Tell me what it is. Don't hide it from me. Okay, that was um, Achan and Joshua. How much more with the Lord? Remember last week, Adam and Eve, they're hiding in the garden after they sinned. Where are you? Where are you? See, when we want to bring glory to God, we understand He's on the throne and our sin needs to be confessed to Him. And, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want to have right. And maybe the thing you came to church to hear today, didn't know it when you got here, was i got to get that dealt with today. My life's not glorifying God because I'm harboring this anger or this bitterness or I've got this sin in my life and I'm not dealing with it. And glory makes me different. And number three, we glorify God when we believe by faith. We glorify God when we believe by faith. Do you know that when you trusted Jesus Christ, maybe you're in the service and you're kind of like, oh boy, have I ever done anything that brings glory to God? Yeah, here's one thing you did. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that glorified God. Because you set aside your plan, you set aside your aspirations, you set aside what you thought you were, and you came to the place of understanding that sin had separated you from God, and you couldn't fix it, and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and God was glorified in that. And so if you got nothing else, you go back to that, that day you trusted Christ. And in that moment, God was glorified. If you're in the room today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, don't try and do things that are going to bring him glory. Do the thing that you have an opportunity to because of what he has done for you. Salvation offered freely to you as a gift, and all you have to do is believe it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God is in heaven. God is awesome. God is perfect. You are not. And the only way that gets made right is through the work of Jesus Christ. You want to bring glory to God? Trust Jesus Christ today and be saved. And God is glorified. Here's another one. We glorify God when we bear spiritual fruit. God's not looking for people who just, oh, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, and now I sit on the sidelines and do nothing waiting for heaven to come. Uh, here's what um, John um, chapter 15, 8 says. By this is my Father glorified. Like it's blatant in Scripture. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What kind of fruit is there in your life? 
that demonstrates the working of God and your submission to him and your desire uh, for his glory. Here's another one, a little tougher for us in our society, I think. We glorify God when we are content, when we are content. Psalm 16 and uh, verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion. Oh, what a great verse. That's what I want. I want the Lord. He is my chosen portion, and he is my cup, it says. And I'm content. You know, we live in North America. You figured that out already. We live in North America where we're better off than 95% of the people in the world, and we have so much. And forget about inside the church for a minute. Let's pick on the people outside of the church. There's so little contentment. So little contentment. I'm always wanting more. I've always got to have better. I've always got to push ahead. I've always got to... That's the world we live in. And we get caught in it. And we get caught up in it. And we're not satisfied with what God has given us. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, the most important thing you could ever want has been accomplished for you. Eternity is yours. And we're bickering about whether we have a big enough house or whether we can afford this or whether we can afford that. And we don't have any contentment. And the world looks at us and goes, you're not any different than anybody else. Our contentment is in Christ. Our contentment is what he has established for us and what he has accomplished for us. And being a follower of Christ who's bringing glory to God is a person who is content. Here's another one. We glorify God when we stand up for his truth. We bring glory to God when we prove by, by demonstrating we stand for what God's word says. It's God's word. I'm not going to waver on it. I'm going to trust it. And we glorify God. We glorify God, we've already talked about, when we praise him. We glorify God when we remember God in our eating and our drinking. Here's a good one. A lesson I've been learning, as you know well, over these last months. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it because it, Canada Health Guide says you should. Okay, check. The Bible doesn't say that. Whether you drink or whatever you do, do all what? What does it say? Thank you. Yeah, to the glory of God. Whatever you're going to do this afternoon, whether you eat or whether you drink, or whatever you do, make the focus of what you do the glory of God. Make the focus of what you do the glory of God. When you see God in his glory, it'll make you eat and drink and whatever. It'll make you do it differently. Here's another one. We glorify God when we labor to draw others to God. We see we desire to have people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because of what God has demonstrated to us and what we have. We want everybody who we know to have. We can't save them. That's not your job. But your job is to bring glory to God by being a faithful witness, whether that's your family member or your spouse or, or whether that's your neighbor or a coworker. And we bring glory to God when our desire is to see people saved. We bring glory to God. We bring glory to God when we are called to suffer. You know, if there's one I'd like to take off the list, it'd be that one. I mean, can't we just glorify God without any suffering? See, we live in a world, again, that says get everything you can and get it now. We live in a, in a Christian world that so often says you just name it and claim it and Jesus wants you to have it and you're supposed to have a bigger house and you're supposed to have it. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches it's going to be hard. The Bible teaches it's going to be difficult 
And the Bible teaches those who trust in him will rejoice even in the opportunity to suffer. Our suffering in our, in our nation is not that great. Now, some of you come out of family situations where you've trusted Christ and maybe you've been disowned or pushed out the door and you've actually gone through some suffering, some real suffering. But most of us are more worried about whether we're going to still be on somebody's Christmas card list or whether we're going to get invited to their party. You want to glorify God? Glorify God in your suffering. Here's a great verse to allow to wash over you about this. Um, so they, the followers of Christ have been brought before the council in Acts, and they're being told to stop doing what they're doing, and they're persecuted in it. Here's what it says. Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing. They just got out the door and was like, sure glad that's over. These guys are out there praising the Lord because they got to suffer for the name, Jesus Christ. And they paid a price with their faith. If we want to glorify God, we'll glorify him understanding that we will suffer and we'll rejoice in it. Two more. We glorify God when we give God glory for all that we achieve. That raise you got, did you give God glory for that? That promotion you got, did you give God glory for that? Or was it, yeah, look what I did. I worked hard, look what I did. Instead of the Lord, the Lord is making his plan. The Lord is positioning you. The Lord is using you. Did you give God glory for the health report that came? He said, well, no, I fixed my diet and I did so much better. Do we, do we look, do we focus, do we desire for the things that we achieve to give God the glory? 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's it. That's how you do it. It wasn't me. That's what God did. Last one, we glorify God. We live a holy life for his name. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of his name, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Twelve ways that living to glorify God makes me different. So what was the one for you? Does the glory of God, seeing him in light of who he is and what he's done for you, is it making you different? Is anybody asking you about that in your life? Why are you like that? Why are you so different than everybody else we talk to? What's God teaching you? Well, so what? So what? In Exodus thirty-three eighteen, Moses said, please God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He wanted to see God's glory. They were going through hard things. People had been disobedient. It was hard for them. And, and God's going to move them on to the next thing. And he's like, Lord, I need to see your glory. I need to see your glory. If I see your glory, Lord, that's what I need so I can go forward. And God couldn't show himself to Moses. He would have died. But God showed him enough. And God showed him his glory. But what Moses had was nothing compared to what we have. 
in the story we have in the finished work of Christ in the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the right hand of God in the indwelling spirit that we have. God is showing us his glory. How are we living out because of that? How are you responding to his glory that's been revealed? Are you making God big in your life? Are you making him known? Is the glory of God making you live differently? Emmanuel, God with us. God showed up and Mary worships and glorifies God and the angels come and they glorify God and the shepherds glorify God and the wise men, they worship God because God showed up in his glory. Well, God's demonstrated his glory for you. Is it making a difference? And if it not, why not? Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We've seen a lot of things as we've considered your glory. How can we paint a picture of how awesome you are? It's impossible. But Lord, we've sought to paint a picture. We've sought to demonstrate who you are through your attributes and through your working. But Lord, we're called to not make you known. We're called to be different And so, Lord, each person in this room will respond differently to this message because of the thing that you're working at in their life. That's how your spirit works. And I pray, God, we would not walk away easily from this message. If we put you so far on the sidelines, we don't even think about you hardly from one week to the other. Then, God, would you you break us of ourselves and bring us to the place of understanding how awesome you are, how your glory is, and how you deserve all the fame, and you deserve the glory, and how you must increase in my life, and how I must decrease so that the fame is yours, God. Oh, God, do that work. And for the person who's here, Lord, who's never trusted Christ, Really, that first step of demonstrating your glory is to put their pride aside and trust Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you would do that work in someone's life today. And then as Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.